Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Thomas Costelli. Thomas is a tax strategist and investor who helps real estate investors keep more of their hard-earned dollars in their pockets and out of the governments. Thomas, thanks so much for being on here today. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So tell us, tell us about your story. How did you get into real estate tax? It's definitely a niche that uh, I don't think many kids really thought that they would right. uh, eventually do. Well, yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. So, uh, growing up, you know, my 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 parents are always like go to, go to college for accounting because like my family is in accounting and stuff like that. So I kind of went to college for accounting, and while I was in college, I was like, you know, I'm like, how do people really get build wealth and actually get wealthy? And like picked up the rich dad poor dad books, and uh, you know, real estate was a recurring theme throughout all these books. So I started diving more and more into real estate while I was in college, and. Uh, I started going to local RIA events like the Real Estate Investment Associations, and basically what I what I I heard about this uh, I heard about this um, business model called real estate syndication. So I went to like a three day weekend um, to learn about syndication, and this was so I had graduated college at this point. This was the summer before I started my full time my full time job, uh, which was in assurance, um, like I was doing audits, going to be doing audits. And so I went to this event. I fell in love with the business model of real estate syndication. I started going to um, their real estate investing meetings on their monthly meetings and ultimately started investing as a limited partner. So passively in other people's deals. And then uh, from there, I pretty much knew I had to do something within real estate. Uh, so kind of from the investing angle, what that evolved into was uh, who, someone who became my mentor was doing these deals. He goes to me, Tom, if you find a deal, if you find a property that pencils out, we'll syndicate it. So I went, started hitting the phones, building relationships with brokers, so on and so forth, and started generating deal flow. We found a deal and we syndicated. It was an 82 unit apartment complex in Jacksonville. So this was going on while I was kind of working um, as an accountant. And then like, as time went on, I was like, you know what? I really want to kind of like focus in on real estate, focus in on, um, and just focus in on real estate. So what ended up happening was I met a gentleman named Brandon Hall, a founder of Hall CPA. He was on LinkedIn talking about real estate, how he he is niched down in real estate. Uh, and so I re reached out to him and said, hey, you know, you have any opportunities? Um, and long story short, joined the firm, um, was doing tax for a while, kind of like just because I came from assurance. So I started doing tax, kind of like build up my tax skill set. And then like I started doing consulting, like doing consulting, tax plan, strategy and planning. Long story short, that's how I fell into the job was uh, I had I, I had a passion for real estate. I was real estate investing. I had a uh, I had CPA and I was like, you know what, how can I get more into real estate? And uh, the tax strategist kind of just fell kind of fell in my lap. Nice. And so you're a tax strategist. What's the difference between that and a tax preparer? And should be people be working with one of those people more specifically or should they be finding kind of both? Right. It's a great question, I think. So the first answer is people should be working with both in most cases. So uh, what a tax preparer does is they'll prepare your tax return. So you'll send them all your information. So like the, the way to look at a tax return, let me break it down like this. It's, it's a report card of your activities, your in income, your expenses, deductions, credits, what have you from the prior year. Um, and at the end of the day, when, you, when you're getting your tax return prepared, 
uh, the years for the most part already closed and there's limited moves you can make. What, what happened the prior year happened the prior year. Um, and your tax preparer will simply just prepare your number, prepare your tax return based on the information. Uh, they're not really doing anything or looking at your tax return in a way to say, what can you do to actually reduce your taxes? They're simply just doing the mechanics of preparing your tax return. Meanwhile, tax strategists, they're looking at your situation, where you are today, what your goals are uh, for the next year, two years, three years, uh, you know, over a time horizon saying, okay, well, based on your activities, based on your business, your real estate portfolio, based on your income sources, here are the strategies, here are the tactics that you can use to actually minimize taxes as you go along. And then, then what, what, what we'll do is we'll lay out a plan. And say here, follow these are the strategies for your situation that you need to follow. Here they are. Here's why you need to use them. Here's the benefits of using them, and here's the action plan. So that when it comes time to actually filing your tax return, when you get to the end of the next, you know, when you get when you're filing the tax return the next year, um, your your report card, if you will, your tax return will be in a much more favorable position uh, than it would have been if you had not done tax planning. So so, so to sum it up, a tax strategist is is looking at your situation and determining how can you reduce taxes. And that's a proactive approach. Meanwhile, the tax preparer is looking in the rear view um, and saying, here's what happened. Here's how this needs to be reported on the tax return. So both both are, are necessary. Um, one's not more important than the other, but I think a lot of people get disappointed when they when they say, oh, my CPA or my tax preparer never told me how to reduce taxes. And that's because it's not really what you hired them to do. So um, it's just important to know the distinction. Perfect. And um, you're obviously very proactive with your clients, your, your own deals that you're investing in. Um, why is it that you picked real estate? Is it just because it's one of the most tax advantaged cl asset classes or was there a different reason? Yeah. So th that's, um, that's a great question. So I, when I was in college, I was looking for ways to build wealth. I kind of realized the nine to five grind was not going to be the way to, to long-term wealth. So I was like, how do other people do it? And, um, that that's when like the common theme happened to be real estate. Um, you know, now it might be tech, you know, had I start looking into that now or what have you. But what I found is that real estate kind of been the com had, had been the common theme. So I kind of just started getting deeper and deeper and deeper into that. And believe it or not, the tax benefits of me getting into that wasn't even the primary driver. It was like the wealth building aspect. It just so happens to be a very tax advantaged asset class. Um, but really what made me kind of stick with it, even after I kind of started wrapping my head around everything, is because we're living in an age today. It's you know 2023 when we're recording this, where everything's being disrupted. Um, technology is take is is making certain things obsolete and just you know just just disrupting many industries. Whereas real estate, you can't really get rid of real estate. You could change the way you transact real estate. You could change the tax benefits of real estate. You could change certain things about it. But at the end of the day, people need a place to live. They need a place to work, even if that's at their own house. So the point, um, and they need stores. There's there's stuff, the warehouses, there's stuff that needs to happen that real prop, that real prop, you can't get rid of real property. I always tell people, unless you have honey, I shrunk the kids technology and you're going to shrink everybody down. Um, and even then real estate is going to matter. So real estate is going to be here today. It's going to be here tomorrow. It's not going anywhere in our lifetimes. And um, so for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a sustainable asset class to focus in on and invest in because you don't necessarily have to worry about you know, is real estate going to get disrupted and go away? It's not going to. So that's kind of why I got into it. That's perfect. And um, I don't want to dwell on this next question too long, but do you see any, um, do you see any changes that could occur with like virtual housing or, or things that are kind of like with web three and um, you may not, you know, be super into that sector and that's okay. But uh, do you see any, anything going that way? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I that that's an interesting question. Like, I, I still, even if you live your life on Web three, you still need somewhere to live. So you're gonna at least need a room. You know, <laughs> yeah. you need house living facilities. So, you know, this is just my. This is off the top, right? Like, sure. at best, you're maybe looking at going from big houses to like more smaller units because people really aren't. They're more virtually focused on how how their outlook looks. Um, like you know, they'd rather live in their virtual world than in the real world. So the real world becomes less enticing unless you don't need all of these luxuries. Long story short, I don't see it changing too much. Um, at least in the foreseeable future, I think it's going to be a long road to adoption. I think what you saw in COVID with the with with Web three was people needed an outlet, and that just happened to be in a, one of the many outlets people chose to kind of see. Yeah. So long story short, I don't see it replacing real real estate anytime soon. Okay, perfect. Well, back to back to the scheduled programming. Um, how uh, so? How does the the real estate really? I, I we obviously know it's the most tax advantage sort of class. How can it help effectively reduce your tax rate? Okay, so let, let's break it down like this, right? So the tax code, so earned income, so income you have from a job or a business that you're actively operating, tax at ordinary income tax rates up to thirty seven percent. Right. And then you have um, you're going to have state and local taxes, depending on what state most states have uh, state taxes, um, local taxes in some cases. And then you have FICA or self-employment tax, depending on if you have a job or if you're paying the full self-employment tax. Um, so it's not uncommon to see high income earners um, pay, you know, 40 percent or more. I see it all the time, especially people like out of New York or California, 40 percent of the amount of money they're generating in taxes. Meanwhile, you have rental real estate. So this is the first benefit, right? So rental real estate, uh, if you have net rental income, also taxed up to 37%, but you're usually not getting hit with FICA or um, or self-employment tax in, in most cases. Um, but uh, rental income can be sheltered by this non-cash expense known as depreciation. And basically, uh, to kind of give an example of what this might look like, uh, if, if you're in the 37% tax bracket, and we'll just look at it from the federal level, not taking into consideration state tax and all that. If you're in the highest tax bracket and you earn an extra $50,000, right, um, you're going to be paying um, $18,500 in taxes. But if you can generate $50,000 in cash flow from rental real estate and not paying, there's a very good chance that you could pay no taxes on it. So, you know, just by investing in rental real estate, thanks to depreciation, you're usually going to shelter your cash flow from tax, at least from now. But the way this actually helps people is your effective tax rate. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not going to go through actual tax brackets for the sake sure, of this presentation, sure. but, but let's just say that, um, let's just say that you say you made $400,000 just for the sake of example. Sure. All right. And you're making $400,000 and let's just say, let's assume you paid a flat 37%. We all know it's not how it really works, but for sake of example, uh, you pay $148,000 in taxes. Um, so your effective tax rate for the sake of this example would be 37%. But now let's just say you are able to earn $50,000 sheltered by depreciation. So now you're at $450,000 of income, but you're still paying the same tax. So now you're, you're now your effective tax rate in this case is going to be 32.8%. Wow. So basically as you increase your income from like rental real estate, for example, it's sheltered by depreciation relative to your earned income, your effective tax rate will decrease. And the more passive income or the more tax advantage income you have, it just keeps decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. So that is the first benefit of rental real estate. Um, the next benefit comes from, and I'm going to, the next benefit comes from long-term appreciation, right? So typically when you buy a property, if you do it right, it's going to appreciate over time, whether that be from a forced appreciation. So maybe you renovated it, 
um, or perhaps uh, just market forces cause the property to go up in value. Now, when that happens, your equity is going to increase. Also, if you finance the property with debt, as as is customary in many cases, you're also going to start paying down the principal over time. So as your principal gets paid down, as your the property value increases, you're going to have equity build up in that property. Now, you could certainly sell the property and to, to tap into equity. We'll get to that in a second. But there's also something as known as a cash out refinance, right? Or a HELOC, where you, you essentially uh, tap into that equity tax free. So the, the debt proceeds when you get a cash out refinance is cash free. So what some people do is they'll build up this portfolio, income will be sheltered, uh, pr property values will go up, their equity in the properties will go up, and they'll just take a HELOC or a, a cash out refinance take the money tax-free and go continue to build their portfolio. And if they use the proceeds from that HELOC or that cash out refinance it, for business purposes, it's taxed. The interest is tax deductible. So uh, that's it's just kind of the whirlwind of benefits. Now, uh, the, the, the objection most people would have is, well, interest rates are pretty high, but I'll just say this. Uh, if you can, banks love to lend on real estate, on, on real estate. So you, if, if you're in a high interest rate environment, chances are your property is probably one of the best assets to get, you know, pretty much you'll get your, a lower interest rate for the most part in general, generally speaking by having a, a, re, a real estate asset as collateral versus an unsecured note or like some other piece of collateral. So that's that. But um, the next thing is um, when you sell property. So when you sell rental property, there's ways to defer the capital gain down the line. There's the 1031 exchange where you basically take the sales proceeds from your property and buy another property with it and you defer the capital gains tax. To give you a quick example of the power of a 1031 exchange, let's say you were going to owe $100,000 in capital gains tax. Say it was a big property, big gain. Um, if you do a 1031 exchange, uh, if, yeah, so that $100,000 in capital gains tax, you would have to pay to the, the IRS. But instead, you take that back, you're able to put that $100,000 towards the next property. If you're using financing, if we assume a 75 uh, loan to value ratio, which is customary, uh, that $100,000 is worth $400,000 in purchasing power. So you're able to sell your asset by presumably better or bigger asset um, and continue to grow your portfolio. And you can theoretically do 1031 exchanges. And not only theoretically, we see we have clients who do this in practice throughout their lifetimes and then um, basically have these massive portfolios. And if things are structured the right way, you could end up passing down a majority of it to your heirs at a stepped up basis, which is the fair market value at the date of your death and pretty much eliminate the capital gains tax that you would have paid. So that kind of in in a nutshell is the is part of the benefits of of why it's so powerful. And that pretty much anybody could take take advantage of, whether you're doing real estate part-time, you just have a small portfolio you're building on the side, or you're in real estate full-time. Now, for people who do real estate full-time, there's something called the real estate professional status. Um, and the real estate professional status allows you to take the losses from your rental property and use them against your earned income or your non-passive income, um, another way to put it. Um, to significantly reduce the taxes on your on your um, on your earned income, which is which can you could take that tax savings and use it to reinvest your portfolio. Now to qualify for the real estate professional status, we can get into all the nitty gritty um, if you like, but basically you have to work effectively full time in real estate or has to be your primary occupation, um, and that that can be a powerful strategy. And if you're married, you could have one spouse uh, work full time in real estate effectively. That's what I'm saying here, um, or uh, 
you know, and then the other person can be a high income earner in another trade or another business or another job, whatever the case is. And that in tandem can be very powerful to reduce taxes and, and build your portfolio. So, I mean, th there's a lot of benefits and, and there's other things, credits, um, other incentives out there. But I mean, in a nutshell, those are probably the key highlights of why real estate is so powerful. And that's rather you, all that in combinations, rather unique to real estate. No, that was perfect. You summed it up really well. And you mentioned a little bit about how when, um, as long as things are structured correctly, when someone passes, uh, or I'm assuming just in general, when things are structured properly, um, let's say like a rental property, I've heard in the past, there's, you know, um, so there's some things where it's, you know, avoid S corps for rental properties. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, before anybody panics, if you have a rental property and an S corporation, it's not the end of the world. Um, the issue with S corporations is a few things. Um, the, the primary thing is when you have a rental property in an S corporation uh, and you need to remove or want to remove that property from an S corporation somewhere down the line, it's going to be considered a sale um, and it could trigger a capital gains event, even if you're just restructuring. So to kind of give you an example. Um, this is kind of it's mirroring a real world example that I recently saw. So someone someone who we knew we knew back in the '90s they had a property in a rent in in an S corporation, and fast forward 20 years, and now they're trying to basically refinance that property. But the bank saying, "Look, we don't you have other assets in that S corporation. We don't want we're not going to finance that property in the S corporation. You have to put it into you know a single member. You have to put it into its own LLC, its own entity." Um, single purpose, you know, entity, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so they had to remove that property from the S corporation. The problem is it, it was highly appreciated. You're looking at a capital gain. I think it was like somewhere in the ballpark of like a million dollars. Right. Um, and you're not selling that. So it's, if, if you were selling that property to a third party, not really the end of the world, you're, you're, you're moving off the property. You're going to have a capital gain and you're going to have to deal with that. However, you're going to deal with that. But if you're just simply transferring it from one entity you own into another entity you own, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. And uh, you know we've we've looked into and dug into it. There's not really any really good ways to get around that. So the way to get around that is just by not putting the property in S corp in the first place. Now, I know back in the '90s, like that was kind of a trend. LLCs weren't as popular, but you know in today's times, um, a single member LLC or a multi-member LLC tax as a partnership, if you're going to have multiple um, owners of the property, it's typically the more appropriate entity. Um, and you can kind of move assets in and out and restructure those types of entities. Um, a lot, there's a lot more flexibility and a lot less downside. So kind of the bottom line to just answer, to, to sum up the question, uh, you don't want to put the property in S corporation because it can trigger sale later on if you restructure. Uh, one last more minor component of it is um, you the basis, so there's something called qualified non-recourse financing, um, QNR. Uh, yeah, QNR is what it's kind of referred to. Um, and QNR gives you basis in the property when you're uh, liable for the debt. Um, and if you have a partnership or you have a single member, if you have a single member LLC, it's largely irrelevant. But if you have a partnership, um, that can increase your capital account, which can allow you to take losses out of the partnership. S corporation, you don't quite have that QNR the same way. Uh, so there could be issues with basis there, but that's not really the primary reason. The primary reason is that um, if you later need to restructure, as probably might as might be the case for people down the line, uh, it's it's not a very friendly uh, entity structure for that. So your recommendation then for anybody who is going to be you know moving in, maybe they're getting a new rental property soon, use an LLC, whether it's structured as a single member LLC or a partnership. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you don't uh, avoid S corp. Just you know, Stephen Covey says, uh, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? So just if you it just if you know that there might be a chance and there might be an unforeseen chance today that you might have to restructure, why even go through the pain of of putting it into the S corporation? Just put in these other entity structures are more pro are are more appropriate. That's just the bottom line. It's the way to put it. They're more appropriate entity structures. So I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Um, is there any reason that someone should put their property into an S corp? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that's an important distinction here. So rental properties to be clear, rental properties in an S corporation, generally not a good gut, not a good move. Um, but if you're going to be fixing and flipping properties, putting up, if you're, if you're planning to basically buy, renovate, hold for resale, putting prop those properties in an S corporation can make more sense. The reason for that is rental real estate, uh, you're not subject to self-employment tax. You're not, you're not, um, it's very much a passive activity under section 469, whereas f fix and flipping is traditionally going to be um, more of an active activity. You're going to be holding uh, at these assets for resale. They're going to be considered inventory um, and inventory. It, it, when you sell inventory, it's taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Um, and if you're self-employed, you're flip, fi fi fixing and flipping properties, you'll also be subject to self-employment tax. Uh, Self-employment tax could be up to 15.3%. When you have an S corporation, you can uh, pay yourself a salary. Uh, it has to be a reasonable wage for, for the work that you're performing um, to the S corporation, but you only pay the self-employment tax on the salary, um, whereas the profits or the distributions, you know, however people want to phrase it, uh, come out of the S corporation. Those are typically not subject to the self-employment tax. So in essence, that's one circumstance where it could make sense to put the property in S corporation. Um, there's there's probably other unique circumstances where it may make sense. I know there's some uh, there's a strategy with like a single when you have a single family house or your, your residence, for example, and you want to lock in the um, the home sale exclusion, uh, but but still hold the property as rental property. You can sell it to an S corporation you own, and there's loans and stuff that go back and forth. Uh, not really, I haven't seen it used too often, but that's another reason why you could want to use it. I'm sure if you speak to an attorney, they'll give you some more reasons. But at the end of the day, from a tax perspective, um, rental properties not the best. S corps are not the best. If you're fixing and flipping, uh, that that's typically when S corps would be appropriate. Got it. Yeah, you mentioned your attorney. The reason I asked this question, our attorney, um, pretty often. So anytime that we hear uh, on a call that someone has, you know, put their their rental properties in an S corp. He he generally, I want to say 99.9% .9 of the time, he just, you hear a little bit of a sigh in the background and he's like, oh man, I, I can't believe your CPA told you to do that. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, because it's one of those things that a lot of attorneys typically tell, well, in my experience, attorneys tell people to do because the S corporations, but, you know, supposedly is better asset protection properties, um, but sometimes they don't consider the tax downsides. And at the same time, from my understanding, like I'm not an attorney, but if you sure. structure LLCs the right way, uh, like, I, like I mentioned before, um, those also can have strong asset protection property, you know, abilities too. So um, you have to look at both sides, the asset protection side and the, and the legal side and, and from all the attorneys that I've worked with and work clients with, uh, single member LLCs, multi-member LLCs, tax partnerships, typically appropriate for rental properties. Nice. Well, what's, what is the most efficient form of income? Um, you mentioned a little bit about like income tax, certain different taxes that individuals are paying. Um, obviously yeah. regular income tax, I think you might, what, it's like close to 37, 40% you're seeing. So what's the best yeah. way that people can use real estate to um, effectively reduce 
their um, level of taxes they're paying on their income. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think if you're looking at if you're looking at the, the from a basic level, something everybody take advantage of, it's just buy rental real estate or invest in rental real estate as a part. You could do in syndicates and funds, which are pretty much just pooled investments, and just by investing in those tax advantage asset classes and using the depreciation to shelter it, that that's that's probably the most efficient sort uh, form of income because because you could shelter it, and by doing so, like I said before, you kind of decrease your effective tax rate as you increase your income from these tax advantage sources. So you know, that, 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 that to me is, 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 is the best way to do it. Now, the other way to do is to invest in passive investments. So if you uh, invest as a limited partner in like businesses, certain other, but not just real estate, but other businesses like ATMs, a car washes, um, self-storage, which to an extent are real estate, I guess you could say, um, fitness centers and there's these other businesses where you invest in, where you're not involved in, they're going to be considered passive. And because they're passive, um, you could theoretically like say, I'm, I'm going to make this up, right? Say you invest in your buddy's medical practice, right? They're trying to expand and they're a doctor and they're going to go open up a new office and they need capital. And they're like, oh, would you, would you invest? So you go and invest with your, now you're a limited partner. They're making, they're calling the shots. You're just giving them the money, but say it takes off. Now all of a sudden they're successful and you're generating cash flow. Well, that cash flow or that 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 income would be taxed at thirty seven percent. But now let's say you have real estate, right? So you buy a piece of real estate, you run a cost segregation study on it, um, which pretty much, long story short, the net effect of that is accelerates depreciation significantly, um, boosting your depreciation expense. You can use the losses that are generated by that depreciation expense to offset this other income um, on the if this this passive income you have because both of them are passive activities. So it. It's it's hard to say what the most efficient is. I I would say for like definitively, but I would say that if you can earn tax advantage income, which is usually from rental real estate or from passive activities that could be sheltered from uh, non cash losses, if you will, from other activities, that's probably the most efficient. Perfect. Well, um, I wanted to mention real quick. I know that you have your own podcast. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we have a a podcast called the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Basically, uh, it's a show focused mostly on real estate, uh, where we interview uh, industry experts, investors, how they built their portfolio. But we also talk a lot about tax, uh, tax strategies, tax benefits, um, and and all that type of good stuff on that show. And it's interesting because we, I think we have like over 250 episodes now, and we probably covered a majority of the strategies that are out there from the real estate professional status, short term rentals. Um, exit strategies for real estate, 1031, 721 exchanges, all that type of good stuff. And um, we, we, we kind of break it down in, in relatively nuanced detail um, and certain strategies, we go deeper than others. But basically, if you listen to the show, it, it's, it's about how can you reduce, if you're a real estate investor, how can you reduce taxes? Uh, and that's, that's in a nutshell what the show is about. Awesome. Well, perfect. And um, I know you also mentioned to me that you, uh, you have a book that's coming out uh, pretty soon here. Yeah, so we're we're working on a, a book for short-term rentals. So short-term rentals have been a hot asset class over the last few years, thanks to Airbnb. And there's certain tax benefits of investing in in short-term rentals, where you could take the losses um, from short-term rentals, use them against your earned income uh, without having to qualify as a real estate professional and work uh, full-time in real estate if you meet certain requirements. So uh, we've been working on a book. Um, it's being cooked up right now. I don't have an exact release date for it, but uh, it is in the works, and I'm excited to get that out there. Hopefully. Hopefully by the end of this year, if not early 20, 2024, 
And um, yeah, if you're, if you want to learn more about that, you could, you could just, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it on LinkedIn. You could follow me on LinkedIn, or we have a Facebook group. You could catch us or, or subscribe to the real estate seat, the, um, sorry, the tax smart REI podcast. And we'll, uh, and I'm sure we'll be announcing it on there as well. Perfect. Well, do you have a favorite book, something that inspired you to write this uh, one about short-term rentals? Um, yeah, I can't say I have one that inspired me to write the short-term rentals. Uh, that just, that more or less came about seeing that there needs to be, there. Ne there's another way to get this information out to people. Uh, we have the podcast and all of that, but the book is a great format. In terms of favorite books, yeah, again, that's tough. It's, it's really tough to pick one. Um, Game Changer for me came last year. I read the book called Atomic Habits. Um, and really Atomic Habits was more than just about habits, but it's about identity. And I think how, I, I think the one of the big takeaways I got from that book was, you know, people, you know, they want it, they want change in their life. They want to change their habits, but they don't, they fail to change their identity. And by changing your identity, it makes your habit, ha changing your habits so much easier because now all of a sudden those habits are now an aligned with your new identity. Whereas if you don't change your identity, you're kind of going against the grain of who you are or who you think you are. And you keep pulling yourself right back down to who you think you are. So change your identity first and then your habits will follow. I mean, both are important, but you have to change your identity first is pretty much what I learned. So that was, that was a, that was a big book for me last year. And I still think I'm feeling the, the ramifications of that. Yeah, that book is great. I actually, I read it this year, probably, I don't know, six months ago. And uh, even the little things like habit stacking, um, yeah. I, I just love, like I, I do more good things on a daily basis. And just because of, you know, the the small adjustments I made from reading a book, which I, I don't know about you, but I never thought that reading a book would actually have a genuine impact on my yeah. life. And uh, it, it's been great. So anybody listening, yeah, go check out Atomic Habits, but also check out their short-term rental book. Um, when that comes out, we will be letting you know. I'll post something too. And uh, if you don't see it when uh, Thomas posts it, but Thomas, what's uh, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you if they have some questions, if they want to um, learn a little bit more about what you do? Is it going to be your podcast? Is it LinkedIn or what's the best way? Yeah, I say there's probably two, two there's probably two or three uh, ways. Uh, the first way is the Tax RAI podcast. We do that weekly. So we're putting out fresh content on a weekly basis. You always hear about the latest stuff we have going on, what you know, what taxes are coming out, strategies, what have you. And then we have a a, a Facebook community called the Tax Smart RAI Facebook group. You can just search for Tax Smart Investors on Facebook and you'll find it. It's a great way to join the discussion. We have a lot of people come to the group and talk about taxes and ask questions about the strategies and how they can reduce taxes. So if you want to like get into a discussion, that's probably the best resource. And then if you just want to learn more, we have a blog, uh, therealestatecpa.com. Um, those are the three ways. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, but I, I'm checking LinkedIn maybe a handful of times a day. Um, the Facebook group is really where I'm, I'm most active at this point. So perfect. Well, Thomas, last question for you before, uh, before we wrap this up, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. So <laughs> I don't really talk about this too often, but I'm going to break, I'm going to make this brief. So uh, I read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich many years ago, and uh, I heard about the concept chief definite purpose in life. And uh, my chief definite purpose was to live the good life and build generational wealth and a family governance system to perpetuate it. So kind of along those lines, I want to help other people do the same thing. Um, so uh, that's my why. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I was I was never rich, never poor, but I'm like, how could I set up the next generation or how can I set up at least my kids um, for, for more success earlier? And uh, that's why I do what I do. And, and saving people money on taxes is a big component of, of uh, growth. Of, building wealth. Uh, if you do it tax efficiently, it makes it a lot easier. 
you make the wrong tax moves, it, it could become a lot harder to, to build wealth. Like, like, I talk, like I mentioned before with the S corporation, you put that property in the S corporation, you could be shooting yourself in the foot, costing yourself a lot of unnecessary money and hurting your ability to build wealth. So that's why I do what I do. Perfect. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated you coming on here and uh, we'll have to maybe do another episode here again soon. Uh, love to have it. Thanks for having me. Of course.